Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast presented by our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Glad to have you along with us on this Thursday. Remember, now's the time to get that AC looked at. Now's the time to make sure your unit's in good shape for the summer. To do that, you need to call Blue Water Climate Control at 865-299-2290. And again, because of uh, everything that the VolQuest listeners have done in terms of referrals, you're going to get a discount on all service and repairs. Uh, as a VolQuest uh, subscriber and listener to the podcast. So whatever you need, Blue Water Climate Control can take care of you. Whatever repair you need will be done the right way by the right people. Find out more at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or give them a buzz at 865-299-2290. All right, guys, we'll jump right into the questions here. And uh, we're out of the gates. Your thoughts on a neutral site game with West Virginia, neutral site games in general. Also, will the Jackson commitment have a domino effect? Austin, I'll start with you on the domino effect and your thoughts on neutral site games. Domino effect with, with a bunch of commits? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I still think that, you know, a lot of people are taking a wait-and-see approach. I do think that he has an impact because he's going to work the phones. Um, I, I do think that he's going to, um, you know, be someone that, like, people look at and go, okay, you know, that, that's a really good gift for Tennessee. Maybe I should actually, you know, maybe they're a little more serious than we thought, you know. And so I, I still think that the month of June proves to be more pivotal as far as getting commitments than, than late April or early May. But, you know, hey, you never say never on adding a piece or two in the next little bit, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, as far as neutral side games, I'm not a fan of them. I like the good old freshman home. Wasn't a big fan when the Vols in Atlanta. Wasn't a big fan when the Vols played West Virginia and Charlotte. I would much rather go to Georgia Tech or to West Virginia uh, and, and play that game and then have them come back to, 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 to Neyland. Rob Lewis, neutral site games. Thank you can't could care less, especially if it's about West Virginia. I mean, where's – I mean, what's the, what's the angle there? I mean, what's the history there? I mean – Jeremy Pruitt's first game, <laughs> I just it does does nothing for me. I mean, if you're going to play USC and you know and in in in, in Jerry World, you know maybe that might move the needle a little bit. But Georgia Tech, NC State, West Virginia, yeah, blah. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a money thing. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna make some extra money on it, and you're gonna do you're gonna figure you know. Um, that's that's the that's the basis for it is trying to figure out a way to to create some more money and obviously they've become popular. But a lot of people don't want to do home and homes, you know. Um, coaches don't want to travel to uh, other places and things like that. So a lot of people just don't want to do the home and home thing. But um, you know, we'll see. I don't know. How, I don't know that this will be a mainstay. Um, I think this one's kind of been in the works a little bit prior to to. Uh, Danny White's arrival, and we'll see if he continues to do that moving forward in, in terms of as – As a proud Knoxville resident, how much money does that cost the city, the county, when you when you don't play – when you miss out on a home game every year? I mean, I, I would imagine it's millions. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it does. I mean, there, there's no doubt it costs, it costs the area money. And that's why I think – I don't think you can do them on a regular basis. Uh, but, again, they're kind of the thing – kind of the, the – not the cool thing, but they're – something a lot of coaches are okay with because they don't want to travel home and homes that, you know, they don't want to open or play on the road and, and other venues. A lot of coaches don't. So 
um, and everybody's throwing these games together. The same thing, you know, in basketball, you know, and I know basketball doesn't bring in the re- the revenue um, for a home game um, like others, but, you know, basketball in the preseason, nobody seemed to is playing at home, um, you know, and, and so unfortunately that's trickled over into football and, and it's a fine, it, it costs more financially, you know, to the city in football than it does anything in basketball. That's for sure. So we'll see what happens with more of those games, if they happen or if they don't happen moving forward. But uh, it's just a mainstay in college athletics, unfortunately. So we'll see. All right. Uh, on to speaking of scheduling, on to the next question for basketball, any information out there as to what non-conference teams Rick Barnes is going to try to schedule this season. I'm going to go back and try to get that Gonzaga game, Rob. Um, there'll be some neutral site games there, I'm sure. Any ideas on where Rick Barnes is going to overschedule this team for? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I already put it in the war room. I guess it's a big note, but put it in the war room last week. They're going to play ETSU. Uh, I think probably the first game of the year. That's a, that's a solid that he's doing for Des Oliver. Uh, they're in a tournament in Connecticut that's going to be uh, – it's high level competition. I think UNC, Purdue, I think are two of the team, two of the other teams. The other, another one is escaping me. Um, I wouldn't rule out the Gonzaga thing. Rick, that Rick, I mean, they were obviously going to do that this past year. He and Mark Fuhr are good buddies, but that's not on the books yet. I actually had a talk with somebody this week about um, non conference scheduling, and it's it's still way up in the air. They're, they're, nothing's finalized. They're trying to, to trying to get the, the Wisconsin game back on the books. Uh, but I would, I would, based on what I've heard, I think I think it's safe to say there'll be a couple of marquee matchups in uh, in December that that fans will, will enjoy. Yep, always seems to be because uh, Rick Barnes loves to overschedule in the month of December. He loves to, to to go really heavy with with high quality competition there. All right, uh, with Thursday being draft day, can we get a summary of Trevor Lawrence's recruitment and relationship with the Vols? Did Butch really say he wasn't a fit for this offense or did Lawrence cool on Tennessee for some other reason? What is the full story here? I'll give my brief synopsis. Austin, you can jump in with anything else. Trevor Lawrence grew up like in Tennessee, obviously has ties to Tennessee. He had uh, Tennessee posters and things like that on his wall. I did come up here for one unofficial visit. I don't think he was ever told quote, you're not a fit for us. Um, I don't think he felt like he was a fit for what Tennessee was doing offensively, and it never got any further down the road than that with, with Trevor Lawrence. That's my recollection of it. Maybe I'm missing something. No, I think that's a pretty good synopsis. I mean, he he, he never felt like he was going to be a good fit in what Butch Jones wanted to do. You know, uh, you know, again, yeah, Trevor can run. Which was the SEC. Yes, that's. Anytime Rob can get a jab in on Butch, he does. Um, you know, but I, I don't – I mean, like, again, Trevor can move around, so it's not like he was a statue. But, like, I don't – I still don't think he felt like he, you know, wanted to run exactly what, you know, Butch does. You know, and, and they do a little bit of that at Clemson. They don't do, a, you know, everything like Butch and them do offensively. And so, you know, I, I do remember, like, people around the building – like making comments like that, though, Brent. I don't think he was told that, but I think that was more of a once they lost him, you know how that goes. I mean, oh, yeah. again, once he, once he again, was never again, him any further, he wasn't good. He wasn't the right fit for them, right? Again, I was told Josh Palmer was going to be better than T. Higgins, and I mean, Josh Palmer's turned into a really solid receiver. Don't get me wrong, but you know, 
if if Josh Palmer can catch almost a thousand yards with the balls as a as a rookie in the NFL next year, then you know I'll be shocked. Which is what uh, T Higgins did. Yep. Is Tennessee still recruiting committed kids like Groves, James, and the Wade twins? Any update on Miller beyond it's Alabama, uh, depending on camp or us? And what's the latest on Isaiah Horton, Austin? Let's go. With um, the, let's go with the committed kids: Groves, James, Wade. Twins. Anything going on there? Any no. Groves a stock fell. They didn't want Groves to begin with. Like that was not a loss to them. Um, You know, so that's not anything. The Wades. I think that they'll let that one lie for a little bit, and then maybe you know reconvene around that one and 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 see what the latest is coming up. Uh, Jordan James. No, I don't think they that they've had any contact with him since he committed to Georgia. Um, As far as Cam Miller. What you just said. I mean, like it's you know, if he camps well at Alabama and they're willing to take him, then I'd say he probably goes to Alabama. If not, I think Tennessee is uh, the favorite, and um, you know he's going to officially visit in June, and then with Isaiah Horton, uh, not going to take any officials till the fall. Um, we'll take some unofficials this summer, which includes a trip up to Tennessee, and uh, don't see him doing anything until December at the earliest. AP, I mean, with guys like Horton, isn't that what Tennessee – I mean, doesn't it fall in Tennessee's lap? I mean, as far as – if guys that want to wait and take visits in the fall, isn't that yeah. the perfect scenario? So, you know, they make some games on tape and this is what we're about. There are just not that many kids that want to do that, Rob. But you're right. Anybody that's willing to do that, 100%, it, it works out to Tennessee's advantage. You know, I mean, Tennessee has to be proactive. They've got to have kids here that want to take visits. But, like, if a kid really wants to wait till the fall, you bring them in for a game, you put up some points, you know, I, I think that, that that is much more advantageous for Tennessee to find success in recruiting going that route. You show defensive guys how bad you need them. Yeah. I mean, and, and look, I mean, here's the reality. It, it, they need to see it. And the spring game is not a great example of that. So, if you can see it in the fall, absolutely. You know, the problem is nobody – I think there's going to be this mad rush to ever, for a bunch of kids to commit in June just because they haven't been out there. And I think kids are going to fall in love with the first place they see because they haven't been anywhere. You know, I mean, it's, it's, they, they, they haven't been out. And so uh, I, I think that's why June is going to be so wild. Now, the question is, do you have a bunch of decommits in the fall? I don't know. Maybe you do, but uh, I think you're going to see a ton of movement in June uh, with guys making decisions or, or, you know, first of July after they go through their whole month of camps and a whole month of officials and unofficial visits. Did Jimmy Holiday ever try to push to get reps as a quarterback once the new staff came in? I know when he came in last season, he won the opportunity and was moved quickly to receiver, but it seems he may fit this offense better. If this defense, uh, if this defense struggles, would you market it more to being a lack of talent or just not enough on-field experience? As for Jimmy Holiday, no, no interest. And and I don't think he had any interest in playing quarterback once he moved to receiver a year ago. Yeah, and, and it was his decision. They didn't move him. He he requested the move. He practiced two days before COVID hit and, and saw that I can't throw it like the rest of these guys can throw it. So he knew that like he his best his best option was to move to receiver. He's moved, never looked back. So, and as far as the defense, I think it's a combination of both. It's inexperience and they just need more talent. Rob, do you think it's more lack of talent or inexperience? Or do you think it really it's, – it's both? you agree with AP, it's both? I mean, I, I think it's both, but I lean towards lack of talent. 
when you're talking about, I mean, who's the dominant guy off the edge? I mean, we're talking about, you know, Tyler Barron really needs to step up and, and, and be an impact player. And, you know, he's a sophomore. And you've you got nobody who's ever done anything at linebacker on, on the defense. And, I mean, you've got some experience in, in the secondary, but, you know, who's, who's a high-level SEC player? In this in the secondary, I don't, I don't think I don't think there's a single high level like first or second team All SEC player on the defense. All right, on to the next one. With the NFL draft coming up, I'm curious to know: Can you guys mostly tell day one when a kid sets foot on pra- on the practice field as a freshman whether or not he's an NFL talent? Also, who are some of the guys that you've seen over the year that's improved their game enough at Tennessee as far as going from average player to NFL caliber? What potential do you see with this current roster? You know, with some guys, sure. I mean, when Jamal Lewis got off the bus, he looked like an NFL running back right then. Eric that, one Berry. that one wasn't hard to figure out. Eric Berry. I mean, when Eric Berry ran sub 4-4 with a cast at a, at a rival's camp, Rob, you were like, okay, that guy can play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are obvious. Gerard Mayo. Yeah, there are obvious ones like that. Um, in terms of guys who have improved their game um, enough, I mean, Austin, we talked about this guy um, while we were out driving around the state. I think Jabari Greer goes into that category. I mean, here's here's a guy who played multiple years in the NFL that um, when he was taken out of high school, um, he didn't have a ton of offers. He was a little bit undersized. And that's a guy who improved and developed um, to being a productive NFL player. Emmanuel Mosley yeah, is another the- example of that. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about Emmanuel, who's now after year three and Jabari Greer played a decade in the league. I mean, you know, it, some a lot of it's want to. I mean, like when I, I'm sure when you saw Jabari Greer get off the bus as a freshman, you were like, okay, but not 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 a decade in the league that player. But yet there's a want to there and a drive, and and then the kid's got enough athletic ability to make it happen. It's both. I mean, some sometimes like I mean, like you say, however, some some guys have just been touched. You know, by the hand of God, and, and you know, like I mean, Gerard Mayo looked like a Greek statue when he was a freshman. I mean, Eric Berry didn't look like a normal human being. But then you've got guys like you mentioned, Daniel Mosley, Cam Sutton, Justin Coleman, who you know are are guys that when they were freshmen, you had no idea that they were going to be signing you know fifty million dollar contracts. And well, I, would would you have thought that? Ramon, back in college, would you have thought that Ramon Foster was going to have a decade in the league and Aaron Sears was going to flame out? That's a great story. I had a, I had a chance to talk to Ramon at this, in the press box in the spring game this past weekend. And Hubbard, I don't know if you remember this. It was my, my first year, I, first year doing VolQuest back in 2002. You had you just started it not long before. And I, I thought I, I was joking with Ramon that I actually wrote his commitment story. And it was like, I, I just, it was just one of those random checkup phone calls with a prospect. What's going on? You know, have you heard from Tennessee lately? Uh, as a matter of fact, I just committed to, to, I just talked to Coach Fulmer earlier and committed tonight. You know, whereas if that was today, he'd be in the high school gym with, you know, three hats in front of him and, you know, live streaming something. And, you know, back, <laughs> and then, you know, he, he was just, oh, by the way, I committed tonight. And then he goes on to play, what, 10, 12 years in the NFL. Yeah, and he was not a guy when you saw him here that, you know, you wondered if he was going to be a starter at Tennessee, you know? I mean, when he got here, he was a little bit of a, quote, project in the eyes. You know, everybody's like, ah, Coach Fulmer's, 
you know, got that look in his eye. He thinks he can turn a guy into something, you know, and he did. And, and, and the credit goes to Ramon for the work that he put in. Um, and obviously when he got to the NFL, a lot of people didn't believe in him when he got there. And uh, he went on to have great success with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, yeah, I mean, you can – I mean, it, it it's all over the map with guys. There are guys who come in and look like a million dollars and they never pan into anything else. And sometimes it's the opposite. And with Ramon in particular, think about all the offensive linemen that, that Phillip was really in around that time. Cody Douglas, Sean Young, Michael Munoz, Jason Rushford. I mean, it's four and five-star guys, and none of those guys made it. And Ramon is an off-the-radar kid from Ripley, Tennessee, that you know goes on and you know wins two Super Bowls. Yep, you're exactly right. All right, um, to the next one we go. I'm very concerned with the depth on defense next season. Can you shed light on the likelihood of signing a linebacker, defensive lineman in the transfer portal? Will we get anyone due to the investigation? How many by position do you think we may sign? Are we just simply, are we just simply screwed? Um, Austin feels like they're going to make some noise in, in the transfer portal on defense. Um, well, yeah. It's all said and done. Yeah. I mean, they are right, right now, Brent, they are trying to, you know, uh, get things closed out with a couple of guys. I mean, Jawan Mitchell is, you know, I think very much a, a hard Tennessee lean at this point. Um, but, you know, he's got to finish out, you know, the semester at Texas and, and you know, close it out strong, I mean, academically. And then and then Caleb Tremblay, um, you know, who is at USC, um, defensive lineman, you know, I, I – I think Tennessee's kicked the tires there and, you know, you know, wouldn't be shocked to, you know, see him end up here. Yeah. And they obviously need help at both of those positions for, for sure. And, and that's been a priority for them. Um, has to be at linebacker and it's become a priority on the defensive line as, as you went out, the, went through the month of spring or went through spring practice. And certainly you don't know what's going to happen with Darrell Middleton. Um, some of these other guys, it feels like there'll be some attrition on the defensive line as well. So um, they certainly want some addition to, to that group. What type of discussions at this point have White and Vitello had regarding the future of Tennessee baseball and the associated improvements of Lindsey Nelson Stadium? Um, in talking to, to, to Danny White um, earlier this week, they, he's had conversations with Tony Vitello. He said that publicly in a couple of different uh, forums. And, um, you know, that's not something that they would typically do in the middle of the season. But I think White feels like he, he's got to – be on the forefront of that to a degree, and, and he doesn't want it to be a distraction to Vitello, but they have had some discussions about what Tony Vitello was looking for and what he would want and need um, at Tennessee. The thing is, you don't break ground and, and do it June 1. You know, you got, you got to get your plans, you got to get approvals, you got to get state bonds, you got to get all those things to take care of. So there's going to have to be, some, you know, some trust from Tony Vitello that this is going to really happen. He's been promised before that things were going to happen. Nothing happened there. Um, so there's going to be a little bit of a trust factor that. And then obviously I think Danny White can ensure some of that trust by going ahead and uh, financially, um, you know, raising Tony Vitello's salary, but also raising the salary of his staff, which I think is a big deal as well. Uh, what will happen? We'll see. I know Tennessee um, wants to keep Tony Vitello and it's a priority for them to try to keep Tony Vitello, but we also know, other schools are going to come after Tony Vitello. And um, I don't think that – I think there's some thought about playing some games at the new downtown park, but I don't think that 
Um, anybody is suggesting to Vitello he's got to play all of them there, and I don't think Tony Vitello has any interest in that being his home park. I think he wants an on-campus facility, but certainly would be willing to play some marquee games in a downtown park, um, but I don't think he wants to play, you know, 40 home games in, in a downtown park. So we'll see what happens as they go through the rest of the season. Obviously, baseball is playing um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week against Kentucky in a key series for them at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. All right, the defense finished seventh in the SEC last year. You've taken the over, under, or push next year. Or I don't worse. know what Steady means by, by seventh. I think he means better or worse. I'll, I'll say worse. Worse. Hard to see him being better, um, you know, but uh, maybe they'll defend the middle of the field a little bit better than the last defense did, but we'll see. Uh, State of the Union for Josh Heupel's first 100 days. How is this athletic department working with the academic administration? Uh, I think they're fine. I don't think that they've had a whole lot of issues yet. Now, obviously, the university side, Austin, is very involved in um, the players who have gotten in trouble in the dorm room, and we'll see how all of that plays out when it's all said and done. Um, Yeah. Who's not back? Yeah, I mean, I don't think everybody's going to be back, Um, you know, and – you know, it's right now it's kind of that honeymoon period you know everybody's singing kumbaya and they're all tweeting about you know the the cheer championships and you know but they're they're putting on a very positive front and as they should i mean i don't think anything's negative at all i think everybody's you know but again all that's fine right now go out and lose a game you're not supposed to in the fall and then nobody wants to hear that stuff so yeah, you know this is a little tidbit. I mean, this is again, AP. This is just it falls in line with dodgeball, and it's not going to win you a game. But just to, to highlight the different vibe, I know, like earlier this week, like Eckler and Golish, and I mean, like like ten different assistants, and and you know, behind the scenes, you know, recruiting staffers went over to Pratt and, and played pickup ball in, in the afternoon for like like an hour. And this is the same university where I know for a fact. Uh, in the in the past, a basketball assistant was asked to leave the weight room inside the football complex because they, they didn't want they didn't want outsiders using it. And, it, and it, again, that doesn't that doesn't mean crap for for October Saturday, but just the whole different vibe of you know in- inclusion, I guess is the word. Is it, it's I mean it's just a, such a different feel. All right, three quick ones here, a couple quick ones here as we get out the door. Rob, jumping headfirst in the basketball hype train, tell me why Rick won't be won't have the same pitfalls with star freshmen as last year. Uh, is it better that the national media hasn't caught on yet? I don't know about the national media. I think Rick. I, I think COVID made Rick really gunshot about Keon and, and Jaden. I think when they had to shut it down for two weeks and they started the season and his freshmen hadn't practiced, you know, hadn't – you know, been part of getting prepping with a game plan. I think that I think that made him really put put them on more of a short shorter leash than he would have. I think that he learned from that experience. I think that he will be more prone to give Brandon uh, Huntley Hatfield and and Jonas Adu, you know, more room to kind of make some mistakes than he than he did those other two in December. I thought he got a lot better with it in January, in February, personally. 
Austin, uh, for you, this is looking like a borderline nightmare in football recruiting compared to our previous high hopes for the class of 22. What does a realistic scenario look like for claw clawing back to relevance? Um, three years of four and eight seasons. What are they looking like here? The, uh, the high hopes were before you changed coaches and did it in a late, in a late manner and, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, and, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, Tennessee didn't need to make a change. All I'm saying is, you know, the, the timing of the change was like, if Tennessee do, does that in December, I think it's, think about how much more, how much further down the road they are recruiting wise with the 22 class, you know, than, than they were getting the job in mid February and then really not having your full staff till late February. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, to, to kind of get this thing, you know, what's, what's realistic. I mean, Brent, you and I talked about this on our drive back. If you can land Isaiah Horton, you land Cam Miller, let's say you, you, you know, you some, you find a way to get Dallin Hayden, um, you get Addison Nichols, you know, and then you got Taven Jackson. That's what five, six, four stars. You start building around that. And I'm sure you might trickle in one or two more, uh, you know, or you, you take a kid that's three star, you may end up getting bumped to a four before it's all said and done. And I think, you know, you could finish as high as 15 and, and as low as 25. I mean, I, that's kind of where my take is on where they'll end up finishing, you know, when all is said and done. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you've got it, you've got to hit on some really good evaluations. You know, you've got to have, which, which will put them about ninth in the conference when you do yeah. that, but it is what it is. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you're not going to go out and line up right now and, and beat out, you know, playoff teams for a bunch of recruits around the Southeast. So your evaluations of guys have to be really good and your development of them have to be good early on to jumpstart this thing. And the biggest jumpstart, the easiest way to jumpstart it is to win at the quarterback position. Find somebody who can win and, and be the, the trigger man for you at quarterback and be productive because that changes, um, that changes the, 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 the timeline of your rebuild if you've got a quarterback. If you spend the next three or four years trying to figure out who your quarterback's going to be, it's going to be really tough. you got to find the answer at quarterback. That's something that the last staff could not do. I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, you know, two of Tennessee's best-looking freshmen that were early in release were three-star guys, Miles Campbell and, and, and then, you know, Jalen Wright. You know, what, what, what's that look like, you know, going forward? I mean, I'm fascinated to see a guy like Deshaun Rucker, you know, coming here. And, and they honestly need him to be able to contribute because they need depth in the secondary. But what can he give them um, who's another three-star guy? Again, you, you want this – as good a class as you can get because you're right. The top schools in college football are littered with four and five star players. But what I'm saying is, is that there are programs out there that, you know, have just coached them up. I mean, when Michigan state made the playoffs a few years ago, they weren't full of a bunch of four star and five star players. They were, you know, uh, a group that had good team chemistry that had some good players that had developed and, and had bought in. So, you know, there, there's more, more than one way to skin a cat. It's just, the easiest path is to, to, to get it flipped around with a good quarterback play and start landing those four and five-star players. All right, uh, out the door here with a couple other quick things. Basketball, Rob, time frame on, uh, on Tamba. Any current roster departures, in your opinion, you think they all stay? And your prediction, other than Tamba, does Tennessee land anyone else or they hold that spot open? Uh, right now, as far as Tom, but, I mean, I, I think June. I mean, I, I don't. I think the kid might just show up and go to summer school. Okay. Somebody told me this week. I mean, I, I don't know that he's going to. I mean, he may tweet something out or 
or whatever, but I, 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 I honestly think that you just might hear, learn about his status in, in, a, in the war room where we say, Hey, Tom is going to enroll in Tennessee next week and, and, and start going to summer school. Um, Current departures on the roster. I don't think so. I mean, all, everybody, virtually everybody, except for Fulkerson is gone right now. I mean, they, they left school. They're, they're finishing up virtually. Um, you know, those guys have not been allowed to go home since, you know, last August. So, I mean, everybody, when they got the chance, um, they, they stuck around for a few weeks and did, did some off-season stuff, and then they, they hit the road. So, everybody went home. I, they've all had conversations with, with the head coach. I, I don't think there's going to be another departure. Uh, it wouldn't – you never say never, but I, I think that the roster you see now is what they're going to start with next year. I wouldn't say it's impossible they add somebody else, but as of right now, today – I think the guys that, that they have are the, are the guys that they're going to start the season with. If somebody else, you know, the portal stays open until July. So it, it's possible somebody hits it that they get involved with. But as everybody's in the portal right now, I, I think Tennessee's roster is what it is. All right, Austin, last question here. we got a couple minutes left. It was mentioned that the previous staff didn't have as good relationships with high school coaches. Why? That should be every coach's first priority. I don't think well, I, mean, I think I don't think it's just the last staff. I think that's been a decade long issue. I mean, you had yeah. you, Butch Jones's staff didn't recruit West Tennessee. They didn't go out there and deal with Memphis or really anything much west of Jackson. Um, and I think the, the the last staff fell into the trap that a lot of staffs do. They don't they, they didn't out of the gate believe in players in the state of Tennessee. They felt like the players in the state of Tennessee were over recruited, uh, over ranked, and um, we're very cautious about moving forward on some guys, particularly when they first got here. That's my take. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, and you're right. This is not a former staff. Like everybody just – like when Jeremy got here, it was always just Butch's problem. It wasn't Butch and Dooley and, you know, even Lane's one year. Like this is not a Pruitt deal. This is a every staff the last 10, 15 years deal. And that's because most of these guys have been outsiders. So when they come in, they don't really understand the state. The state's, you know, you know, you're over here on the far east and you, you know, go all the way to the far west, which is a six-hour drive and so on and so forth. The one thing I don't think they, that I like they did, and, I, I, you know, I think it's a little bit, you know, overblown, the whole Tennessee takeover thing. And, well, they're, they're every, every, every coach is in the state. No, they're not. Every coach, every coach on this, this staff was calling high school coaches in the state. That's why it was portrayed the way it was. But realistically, there's like five guys in the in the state, um, you know. But they're all going to tandem recruit. So like Rodney don't really have a spot in the state, but like you know, for defensive linemen, he's going to recruit, you know, defensive linemen. So you know, that's where we go. Yep. So we'll see what happens with that. More recruiting to follow moving forward, and we'll uh, talk about it um, on the general's quarters. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control podcast for Austin and Rob. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.